Hello to the Technopreneur. Um, we are a community of entrepreneurs that connect people by sharing their journeys and challenges. Today we will meet someone who develops a system in the field of agriculture which can reduce CO2 emissions and increase harvest yields. Uh, but more about the, all the nitty-gritty details later. Um, through telling stories like these, we want to inspire a new generation of entrepreneurs by showing you the people behind these startups that disrupt and challenge today's industries. I'm Luca. I'm here today with Paco. We are your hosts for today. Hello, everybody. And our guest is Lars Fischmann. Fischmann, I'm, it's, so, it's such a German name. <laughs> Need to say this, but you aren't German. Um, the founder and the CEO of Equiprint. So thank you for being here. And you're having me. I saw Equiprint isn't your first startup. So before we dive into Equiprint, how did you end up here today at DTU at the Danish Technical University? Yeah, that has been quite the journey, to be honest. And, uh, and again, thank you for having me for your first podcast. It's quite the honor uh, to help out. Uh, well, it's um, for those of uh, you who don't know me, I'm actually 45 years old, so I'm a bit of an older student. So it might not be very uh, obvious that a guy my age should actually find himself at a, at a university. Yeah, it's and interesting. It was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it comes out of the fact that um, I've been an entrepreneur for... Uh, almost 10 years now in the various capacities and I've been working in different fields. Uh, my first uh, startup was a production company for a TV series that we wanted to produce for uh, stream media. <clears throat> so cool. um, as a background, uh, I also have been trained as a screenwriter, so I actually had the competency that was necessary to go into this team and, and try to, to flesh this out. Uh, and I'm not going to bore you with the details, but uh, there was uh, some industrial espionage involved. Uh, we didn't really conceal and, and, and protect our data. So uh, somebody else ran away with that idea. And oh, they seriously? Made this. Yeah. What? So, so you actually was... experienced one of these situations where someone takes and, and leaves, takes the idea and, and leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to make matters worse, just to put it into perspective, uh, the TV series exists on Netflix. I'm not going to name Which one it is? <laughs> no, no advertising. <laughs> exactly, and I don't want to get into trouble either. Uh, but it's good. it has run for three seasons, okay. so apparently we had something good going for us. Uh, okay. How, how uh, does that? Yeah. How does that? How does that feel to know that you had something great at hand, and that someone right now is actually, yeah, perhaps benefiting from it? Terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Um, As it happened, when we had to face the fact that we had lost uh, the, the golden goose, um, that was a, a depression that I don't want anyone to experience. Mm. Uh, it was quite hard, and it took a long time to recover from it. And even though it's been quite a few years now, <laughs> uh, in a, a few years now, um, it, it's, it's, it still sometimes hurts to, to think back on. Yeah, man, I'm very sorry to hear that it sounds... I mean, if I can only imagine, luckily I haven't experienced that yet, but it must be harsh. So, so first of all, like congrats for like getting strong back on your feet and on a mission and finding your own journey. But yeah. Is there something <laughs> you learned out of this, something you now take to in, into account for, for your yes. future f projects? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things I really learned was you really need to know who you're working with because the, 
the issue was that there were two people on the team that had access to all the material, and we didn't really know that much about them, and they took everything. So always know who you're working with and, and make sure that only the right people have access to the data that mm. you're working with. But how do you find this out? I now We are now, for example, going find someone nice who seems to have the perfect knowledge in our industry for a future project and what yeah where can i see it that it's the right person i should share all all of our knowledge with yeah that's a good question i mean they, they usually people say trust but verify um so make sure you have some kind of uh, agreement you have something in writing that you have got to know them a little bit better before you actually engage with them And I mean, for us technos, I suppose it's pretty easy because we study together, we work together, we know each other very well. So the odds of someone betraying us is... Yeah, as a, as a bit of context for uh, for the audience, maybe that we, we're all part of the same program here, uh, Technology Entrepreneurship at DTU uh, in Denmark. And it's true, like, at least I feel like there's an ethical uh, equality within, within us. We know that we're all kind of partners in this. We can uh, only benefit from each other long term, better than screwing screwing each other over. But so, how do yeah. you think? Like, okay, so you were looking for a team back then, interesting, and perhaps you made a few moves slightly quickly in in creating bonds and and exchanging information with with someone you might have not or should have not trusted. So this is a yeah, this is a very very good learning. Uh, how do you, how do you think that leads to yeah to your upcoming then? furthering your story journeys and entrepreneurship experiences? Um, well, the second the second startup I can just move into that was with my partner. And uh, I'm not going to go into detail with that. I'm just going to say, don't do business with friends and family. That doesn't work. Oops. <laughs> I, already, <laughs> I already fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you can, you can, but be careful because it's, it can end badly. It, It didn't for us, fortunately, but but that's another level lesson you have to learn. Um, but what no, but what you do is that as you go on, you you look for people who have the right competencies, and you you do interviews with them, you have a talk with them before you start to engage them. You you might even do a little spying on them by checking out their social media accounts just to get a, a hold of who they are, who they know, and and, and if you find don't find any kind of Uh, conflicting interests or anything else, then you can trust them. Mm. I think that's a rule of thumb. It's very interesting because often, at least what we what we learn in entrepreneurship is don't be too don't shy away from sharing your idea, your development because before mm. someone actually gets to the point of starting to develop, committing to an idea, it takes a little bit. So there is more to gain by sharing than to lose. But, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a but. but it, there's a but because you can still share the idea. You can still share the, 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 the intention you have behind whatever it is you're trying to achieve. But just don't give away the, the crucial details, the, the, the meat of the, of the stew, so to speak. Uh, keep that to yourself until you actually know that people are willing to commit. That's a good one. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, okay. So proceeding further into your, into your life experience, heading towards uh, Agroprint. What next? Well, next is my third startup. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a kind of a, uh, like a, a serial now, right? <laughs> <laughs> The last uh, series. Love it. Yeah. 
no, after after the second one, I, I kind of realized that I needed some kind of entrepreneurial competencies. I needed to up my game, need to acquire skills. So I found out that there was a, a, a bachelor's degree I could take in innovation and entrepreneurship at the uh, Copenhagen Business Academy. So I did that. And as part of that, uh, we had to do an internship, which I did at DTU, uh, the Danish Technical University, in that program at, that was called the XTech Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I actually ended into it and work with it but we got to work with a pathogen detection uh, platform for um, for the food industry and that went very well um, unfortunately it's another one of those sad stories where many startups have faced the coronavirus and not survived uh, um, sorry to hear that it, it's, a, it's a longer story and it was also a really painful one um, but, but the, the main lesson for that one was to always make sure that you have good communication with your stakeholders Everybody involved, make sure you talk to them, especially the professors and the inventors. Always have them close by. How do you keep up your motivation? You failed, no, you told us at least the two stories now, no? where you it doesn't went out successful. How do you keep up the motivation for starting something you going going farther? Masochism helps. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I'm bearing that. Uh, no, I think I just think that if you have the ambition to become an entrepreneur, if you have that kind of mentality, you realize that, yes, you can fail, you can fail bitterly, it can all go bust, but you just have that inner drive inside you that, that just wants to create, that wants to build, to create value out of nothing. Yeah. And, and, and that just, I mean, after each time I have failed, it took a little while until that kind of emotion, that kind of feeling took over again and, and just push me forward. Yeah, on your support as well, I remember seeing this this graph that was showing the the successful entrepreneurs tend to have their highest success at the third slash fourth uh, startup, whereas <laughs> it's kind of common to, to, to kind of, okay, get it hard in your face in the first, you're like, okay, I'm common. I don't know what I'm talking about, boom. And then to improve there, and then the third, fourth, and actually, interestingly, after the fourth, it tends to kind of go down, as if this inner drive you're talking about might, after you achieve very high goals, kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, though. Sounds promising for Acroprint. (laughs) 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 But um, not everybody, as Pak and I have seen you pitching on the Digital Tech Summit here in Copenhagen, so... Could you maybe explain us a little bit what Acroprint is? What yes. are you doing? Yes, uh, Acroprint is uh, the fourth attempt. And uh, what we are doing is we had this research that was been conducted at uh, the University of Copenhagen for the past 20 years or so. Uh, that looked into how different kind of ways you can seed uh, crops like wheats and rye and barley, uh, how these patterns can be used to suppress wheat growth naturally. Um, so the results ranged from 35 to 70%. And uh, that was a very interesting uh, pile of research, but nobody was doing this uh, commercially. So we, we looked into it and, and tried to figure out why. And as it turns out, the distances you need to achieve in order to, to do this is very, very difficult mechanically. Hmm. Um, so Sorry, we prepared so a... Do you mean like yeah. the distances between the seeds? Uh... Yeah. Okay, okay. So that's very hard to, to figure out where the seeds has to be placed in order to protect the soil. Yeah. Okay, okay, awesome. Sorry. Yeah, because you have to cut down to four centimeters uh, across. Okay. And, uh, 
And traditionally speaking, all the farmers have for the past 2,000 years or something have been planting in rows. Mm. And uh, these patterns is a complete breakaway from, from what is traditionally done. Um, but we did this research. We, we found out there might be a way to do it. We prepared a due diligence package for uh, the XTech entrepreneurship course, which was my second time in XTech. Uh, it was accepted, and uh, we got I got a team uh, from from DTU starting working on it, and we actually came up with a solution and uh, developed a prototype that that demonstrated the proof concept, and it worked. So now we knew that there was actually a feasible way to do this. We could actually achieve these distances, uh, and it, on top of that, even without touching the soil. How so, how, so is, how can I imagine this? Like you, all what I also found online, what I listened to, it's for me, it's still a little bit abstract. Uh, I I don't have a picture in my mind how this this process would look like. Could you? Is it is it something which gets attached to existing machines? Do you build the whole machine your own, or how does it work? Yeah, well, first of all, I cannot explain the exact mechanism because that's uh, patent pending. Yeah. But, um, the, what I can tell you is that, yeah, the first version is going to be tractor mounted. Okay. So it will be an implement like traditionally you would see on a field. Uh, but, and and that, that one would be able to do these patterns without any soil disruption, adhering to all the principles from conservation agriculture, which is what leads to the uh, CO2 uh, reductions. And it's also quite profitable for a farmer because they can sell carbon certificates and so on, so on, and so on. Uh, but what we ultimately want to do is to create a digital version as well with an array of sensors installed into the machine that makes a digital shadow of the field where you actually can go down to each individual seed and know exactly where they are. And you wow. have real-time data on, on the nutrient levels and the soil conditions, humidity, pH levels. Uh, you can individually inject fertilizer depending on the soil conditions, so you actually get the maximum usage of the fertilizer. Oh. And eventually, it has to be completely autonomous, so you simply just have a fleet of robots that goes out and does everything for you based on that digital shadow. That's amazing. So, so basically, you can kind of track each and every single seed? <laughs> is, that, is that kind of almost yeah. the level we're talking about? That's amazing. Um, I just I talked a few days ago with a friend about yeah this tracking over this whole supply chain about food so it doesn't then in if the farmer uses your software your your product they don't only have to say the, this fruit comes from this field they can say it comes from this seed which was from ten from five years ago and that's ooh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be difficult to say this exact seed once you've harvested. But oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think like the... Was it hard for you to get into agriculture and understand kind of how that industry works? Or did you already have previous knowledge before starting your company there? I, I did have a network to begin with. But in terms of, of cereal agriculture, it, it was very limited. Um, the, the industry contacts I, has, I had was in Land One Fødevare and in Segus, which are these organizations that maintain the interest of agriculture in Denmark, because the prior startup was also aimed towards, uh, that was uh, livestock agriculture. So I kind of had a little bit of, of prior knowledge, but not much. So all the things I, I know now about how you grow seeds and the terminology, the, the machines used and, and, and the methods and uh, everything else, that's something I've learned for the past, yeah, a year or so. Do you have a strategy for something like this? Because I know also working on a project, going into an area where I don't 
know so much about and currently I just read everything I can find um, bring my sign up for newsletters read papers watch documentaries do you have any kind of I mean it looks like a big mess I'm just doing I'm just collecting information do you have some kind of strategies I'm kind that worked for me yes I mean do all of this do all of those things to start with and then find somebody who's an expert and talk to them mm-hmm so get some assumptions validate them <laughs> precisely yeah. precisely definitely i think it's very it's very cool how you got into a space that okay you you had an insight you had an insight into this space uh but then you actually got the possibility to dive into it deeper and find a product that that fitted that specific market if you if you would give some um yeah some insights to yourself like a year back in this industry what what would what would you what would you tell yourself If I were to look back, uh, well, what, the first thing is that this is like a general advice for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur. I don't know if it's the same in other countries, but especially in Denmark. Sort out your bank. <laughs> <laughs> Because, <laughs> seriously, setting up a bank account in Denmark as a, as a newly started business is a nightmare. Don't only not only as a newly started business. I I moved here four months ago. I don't still don't have my bank account. It's, uh, <laughs> it took me a year and a half as well <laughs> when I moved. It's not not easy. Uh, let, let me give you an example. I'm not going to name which bank it is, of course, because uh, the trouble. But uh, so, you, you so can. A, we established incorporated our company in a very traditional structure with three holding companies, one for each founder, and then an operating company. So essentially, we have for uh, CVR numbers. And um, so we contacted this bank and they were they say, well, we, we, we don't, we, we're not going to offer you an account. I was like, okay, why not? That because we demand that you set up an account in each of the companies. So you, we had to have an account in each holding company for 155 kronos a month, and one in the operating company for 235 kronos a month, and an establishing fee of 16,000. <laughs> Holy Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how? Yeah, how did you figure that out? Did you get some advice on on doing the right moves financially, or what? Well, as, as fortune would have it, we we set up an emergency account with Revolut, uh, the online bank, yeah. and uh, name drop. And as of, uh, name drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with an intention, because as of Monday, they have a license to operate as a bank in Denmark. Okay. It took three hours. It cost 200 kronos a month. And that's it. There's no fees. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also have their personal private account. So maybe I look should look into them again. Rather yeah. than sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you mentioned that you your patent is pending. How when did you start with this? When yeah, how how is it going? Or how long? How much time do you have ahead to get it finally signed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, The first thing you do, of course, when you have, you, you might have an invention, is you do the novelty search with a, a partner. And what they do is they go into databases of existing patents and uh, pending patent applications, and they figure out, is there anything that does exactly what it is you're trying to achieve? So we did with, this with Sarko, and they uh, basically did it with us, and we actually got to see things that we might not have <laughs> supposed to have been seeing, but let's not, not go into detail. Uh, but we found nothing. Uh, so that essentially means that the, the, the search was positive. And once it's positive, you can then 
begin the patent application process, which is a, a bit of a more uh, labor-intensive job. And it also costs a lot of money, as you mentioned. So uh, I say patent pending, but we haven't actually started it yet because <laughs> we, we need the money to, to get it uh, going. How much is it roundabout? Just to get an idea. Yeah. Uh, Forty to 50,000. Danish crowns or USD. Danish crowns, yeah. Danish crowns. And that's, and that's just for the for the application. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? So and so actually, if then you wanna patent it, that that's how much. Well, I think they they usually they say that a full patent that is protected in the markets you wish is uh, between three hundred and eighty to four hundred thousand. Which in USD is roughly um, fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. That's a but lot. But bear in mind, this is a process that takes up to 36 months. So it's, it's not something you pay out all at once. It's a, an ongoing thing. Can, can you then start to build your product before you have the patent? Or... Of course. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, because of the nature of what we're trying to achieve, there's a, we have a long, uh, a long route to market. So any kind of market introduction is not going to happen within the next two years. So we have plenty of time to build and test and validate. And uh, also to, to pivot if we ne if it's necessary, iterate all the things that we need to do. Would you say making business with the with the farming industry is a smooth process? Is it like you come with your product, they see what you mean, and they're like, yes? Or would you say it's more like, oh no, we have a tradition, and this is how we do it, or or not? What what is the what is the pattern that you find there? I was actually quite surprised at the about the uh, what is called in English. Uh, the way we were received, they were very open and, and very interested. And uh, I don't know if they're killing us with kindness, but it, it seemed like they were, at least the ones I had talked to, uh, they were all very open to trying new different things because they could see the writing on the wall because agriculture, as so a combined whole, is responsible for almost one-fourth of the uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. And uh, a lot of the pesticides they're currently using are to be phased out of the market so they know that, that they need to do something new. They need to change the way they do it. Uh -huh. So, maybe that's so you're saying one fourth of the of pollution basically derives from agriculture? Is, do I understand correctly? Uh, well, yeah, it's it's a combination of uh, of course CO two, uh, methane, uh, and uh, what's called nitro, uh, laughing gas, uh, nitrous oxide, oh. and so on, so on, so on. The fun combined the fun stuff. Ah, I didn't know that was so polluting. Maybe I should have not. <laughs> no, but uh, okay, very cool, very cool. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that you're the first one. No one else has a patent on this. What, mm. and if I'm now naive, I would say you don't have competitors, but I'm sure you have. Uh, in in which kind are the, what, what are your competitors if there isn't someone with a similar product? It's the existing market. Uh, it's 2,000 years of tried and tested solutions for the market. Huh. So, uh, Sounds tough. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, zero. <It> is. <laughs> no, but I say there's a paradigm shift. So, so everybody's mm -hmm. looking for the next thing. Uh, because they, they know we can't keep on doing it the way we're doing it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, there are solutions out there right now that can do it quite sustainably. Uh, within conservation agriculture, but they still have some some challenges and issues because they still have soil disruption, they still have tillage, which is something we don't require in our system. Yeah. So there, there are existing solutions that we have to compete with. Yeah, yeah. I think I, uh, 
Yeah, I think I kind of asked you at some point, like, um, what is what is the journey like moving forward from here in the, in the sense right now? Okay, you know there's there's some there's some value you can provide to the market. You know that your your target group, farmers in general, receive your product pretty nicely. You know it's going to take a little bit to deliver that product to the market. But so from here to there, finding mm. out, patenting in the product, ensuring everything is right. What is in product development the crucial things you got to ensure go right? Like kind of what is the roadmap until you get to the market? Oh, that's a, that's oh. a big question. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. No, no. <laughs> you can deviate. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah. Talk about the personal piece. No, um, well, first of all, we, we do have a, a requirement specification from the farmers. So we, we know exactly what they require us to do because the seeds need to be of a certain depth, for instance, uh, so that there's, there's all these kind of technical basic requirements that has to be, to be fulfilled. So we know we have to achieve this in the prototypes we're building. And uh, currently we are writing an application uh, for the food and biocluster. They have this uh, special program, um, which should cover the cost associated with carrying out the first uh, real-life field testing we expect to do in March. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have these, this modular-built solution right now um, that can just be scaled up to the size we need it to be, as, as far as the money allows, of course. And uh, then we can test whether or not we can actually meet these requirements from the farmers. So, so, so doing this is the very first step, the very first milestone we have to achieve on the technical level. Mm -hmm. uh, secondarily, we also have to figure out how we're going to market this. Uh, but we have a really good collaborator called Agrovi, which is a consultancy firm that maintains the interest of conservation farming in Denmark and, uh, and also in the Baltics, um, who can help us with this because they have also a personal interest in we I heard about this now quite often that somehow consultants or consultants firms jump in to startups to help them with their expertise in a certain area. How do you handle this? Do you who is paying for them basically? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment nobody does. Um, but the application we're writing for the food biocluster, they are one of the, the, the parties in, in that kind of uh, consortium we're building. Okay. So, so part of the money that we're going to apply for is going to go into their pockets, so they actually get paid for their work. Uh, and of course, as we move along, we constantly have to apply for new funding so we can can get the kind of companies and the data and the, the answers that we need. But for them, it is also of interest for them to, to actually promote what we're trying to achieve uh, because we are targeting directly their customer group as well. Yeah. So that's, that's a mutual interest. Mm -hmm. you, you just mentioned also for your milestones, some, some tasks. How many people are you currently and what kind of backgrounds do you have? So I, do you now have farmers on your team with an agriculture background, engineers? Who's who's working on your team? Well, that's myself, of course. I come from a business background. Um, then I have Laura. She's the CTO of the company. She uh, She's a bachelor in mechanical engineering and she's doing her master's in autonomous systems. Uh, then there's uh, Frederick, he's a process and innovation engineer, and he's doing technology entrepreneurship, just like we are. Uh, and then we have Joan, he's an electrical engineer, doing his master's as, a, as an electrical engineer. And uh, he actually has a farm in his family. That's awesome. So, so some of that, that kind of crucial knowledge. <laughs> yeah. How important was it that someone has a farm? <laughs> yeah. The hiring criteria. <laughs> like, ah, you yeah. got it. Gotcha. <laughs> 
So that's the, the core team. Uh, but I, in our advisory board, we uh, we have a, a guy called Henrik Lunge, uh, and he's a veteran in the industry. He knows a lot of stuff, and he's been a, a great help to our advisors. And of course, we have the professor from KU, uh, Jacob Weiner. He's also part of the advisory team. So so we have those kind of things. And, and also from Agrovi, they are also providing with a lot of very, very specific knowledge that we need to uh, to, to know. You, um, what I also know, I, I thought about in the beginning, you mentioned how that you have this, this inner motivation to be an entrepreneur. And now you do something with agriculture, which I would normally say is a little bit not the most sexiest topic to choose. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. Like, um, um, <laughs> and I would like, how... Do you, do you always had like a passion for agriculture? Do you build it up during the time? Um, are there other topics you're you're interested in, or yeah? I'm basically interested in anything. Oh. Uh, so so agriculture wasn't very specific, but it, it was just when we did the feasibility study on, on the research that we found out there was actually a huge business opportunity here. There was actually the possibility to create something that would be extremely valuable for somebody. Uh-huh. Then it kind of got my, my, my juices going. You know? Your attention. Because <laughs> I wouldn't immediately think either that, uh, that there's any rock star status about building agricultural equipment. I totally agree with you. But uh, now that I got into it, I kind of see that there is, actually. Amazing. <laughs> it is actually kind of sexy. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your slogan. <laughs> Agroprint. Yeah, make make, sexy make agriculture sexy again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very cool. So, so your your drive came from spotting a proper problem that that could be solved. There, it's 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 a good way as well for entrepreneurs to to approach it in these terms. Oh yeah, always always have the problem at the at the center of your focus. And that how? Is, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just that because usually, especially technically minded people, have a tendency to fall in love with the solution mm-hmm. when actually you should be falling in love with the problem because that's what you're trying to solve. It's true. It's true. There is this, uh, there is these mantras, right, in entrepreneurship that that we get to hear sometimes. Like, don't fall in love with the solution. Or, do you have some of them that are your favorites? That are kind of like your north stars when you're making decisions and when you want to avoid screwing up things. I mean, I'm prone to falling in love with the solution as well. <laughs> uh, of course, I am. But I, I have to remind myself that yeah, I shouldn't, and I should always be prepared to to pivot on on some of the technical technical aspects, because this uh, Exhibit A might seem extremely cool, but the customer doesn't want it. It is valueless to the to the customer, so I have to cut it. Uh, and that's a process you have to learn. How often do you, did you then pivot it with Equiprint to come up with the solution you currently have? Because I imagine it wasn't the first one. <laughs> No, it wasn't. I think we are currently on the fourth, the fourth iteration of the idea. So we kind of went through some some stages to where we are now. Yeah. The third, third or fourth. I'm not I'm, 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 honestly can't remember. <laughs> And yeah, how 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 is it then? How does it feel to kill your darling? <laughs> how it's always said. Because did you had one of the personal favorite, or do you think everything we did now because I was now personally also on the step, like, we also pivoted in one project. I still like the initial idea, and I sometimes think back to it. Um, 
maybe space for another business. <laughs> yeah, but, but do, do you have some some darling you, you also look back to and still think this could be something if I would could have, have more time to work on? Uh, yeah. Well, we could go back to the, the prior startup uh, with the pathogen detection because the device was originally intended to be a handheld device that you could go out into a chicken coop and you can chase for, for pathogens there. Uh, and that was kind of what we were working on. But then we were start, start talking to one of the, the major producers of poultry in Denmark. And they said, well, that's all really cool, but we always have a system in check uh, to, to, to do this for us. And it's not really, the speed of it is not really necessary. But we would like to do this in our slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of had to say, okay, so we also had to ditch the entire system as it was, and try to develop a new one that would be implementable in a in a slaughterhouse setting. <laughs> so that was a major pivot. Also, never thought to do something where uh, <laughs> we'll uh, talk about slaughterhouse. We had to close down. We actually tried to. Are you still there? Yes, we're here. You hear us? <laughs> had to happen. Yes, tech, technology, entrepreneurship. <laughs> Hi, uh, this is the editor. As you might have noticed, uh, we lost connection to Lars at this point, um, but we'll just pick it up where we left off uh, later in the recording. So, have fun with the episode and cheers. But fair enough. Um, I don't know. I don't know where we cut off. What you got so far? From um, what did hmm. you What did you hear last? The <laughs> uh, last thing it was something about was talking about the pivoting in the prior startup. Wow, it's been a while. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, man. Um, no, for me, it was like if you would give if you would give us advice, like you look just w- one year. You're one year ahead in the program. You're a few years ahead in more in terms of experiences in general in life. What would you tell us, like Paco, Luca? Listen, trust me. This. All right. I can give you the the, the, the motto from uh, from my uh, former education at uh, the Copenhagen Business Academy because I think it really encapsulates what you need to to be as an entrepreneur. You need to have the mind of a pirate and the skills of a Navy SEAL. So essentially, you should not to get out there, get your butt out of the seats, engage with people, but also know what you're talking about. Amazing, man! That's that, nice. uh, <laughs> really nice. It's really nice. We could make some some, some shirts with this. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it really annoys me that we get so close to the end that we got this technical problems. <laughs> so okay. part of it. Even to take this one step further, to not tell us, to not give us an advice, if you just think back when you finished your bachelor and. Would you then do something different? Are you? Are you? Would you go the same path away, uh, again, not away? Um, and what would you tell yourself? Mm, yes, I would. I I would not have chosen any differently. Uh, this is this is who I am. I, I cannot not do it. Uh, if I don't get to work on my ideas, if I don't get to get creative for stuff, I get weird. I get depressed, I get angry, I get annoyed. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a beautiful I reply. need this kind of outlet. So there's there's no other path for me. Man, it's so good. Path. So good. Just doing what you feel that you have to do. Like get that creativity going on your passions and drives. Amazing. And as we learned from Paco, 
let let uh, fail two or three startups to then have one successful. <laughs> <laughs> If you can beat well, that, exactly. that's good. Actually, there's there's a good learning. I mean, you, you don't have to fail your first startup. Of course, it would be amazing if you do it. Some people do. You know? <laughs> But the, I think the key lesson from that is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yes. Because you. So so just try shit and and see what it lands. That's amazing, Lars. Thank you so much. So good. Thank you for being our guest. It was a pleasure. Thanks for being our first remote guest. <laughs> But I think we get need to get used to it through COVID. So have a nice day and see you. Legend. Thanks so much. Best of luck to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Why? This is afternoon for you? Oh, it is yeah. afternoon. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, I just fuck? looked outside, it looked like night. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>